Good morning. It is great to be with you all today. I know many of you are stressed, burdened, tired, and weighed down. And today, we're going to explore how we can have a gladness of the heart that is lasting and how our lives can show Jesus to a world that is hurting, broken, and doesn't know him. We're going to start in the book of John, and it is right before the Last Supper. And Jesus is about to face the most brutal torture and execution in the history of humanity. And he's there at the Last Supper before his, with his disciples. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And the love that the Father and the Son have together is a love that knows no beginning, it has no variation, and it knows no ending. And it is so different than any love or relationship in all of humanity. And most of our relationships are kind of transactional. You do something for me, and I'll do something for you, and if you don't live up to my expectations, I'm going to stop loving you. The love between the Father and the Son is very giving, is very serving, is very sacrificing. And the Father has placed all things under the Son's authority, has given him power and authority over everything. And as we're going to see, the Son is willing to lay down his life and do everything his Father wants him to do to show this world how much the Father loves them. He's willing to sacrifice himself. He's willing to leave the beauty and the amazing, awesome presence of heaven to come down to earth be amongst sinful, dirty, you know, care, careless people and show them the amazing love of God. He says, the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. In the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, the word remain means abide. Abide in, abide in, live in, be at home in my love love. Find your meaning, find your identity, find your purpose, find your value as someone in my love. Abide in my love. Live in my love. Be at home in my love. He's telling, he's telling his disciples, as the Father's loved me, I have loved you. I want you to live in my love. I want you to find your value as a person in my love. I want you to make yourself at home in my love and operate your life from that starting point, from a love that you're not going to see that is, that is way beyond this world and what you and I know as love between people. The Father and the Son have an interconnectedness together that Jesus wants for us. They have a connection with one another that, the, that Jesus wants us to have with our Heavenly Father, and He paid the price so that we could have that intimacy and that closeness with our Heavenly Father. But He also wants us to have that interconnectedness and that connection with each other, with one another. All right, And He's not just going to teach them how to do that, He's going to show them how to do that. He continues. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments, and remain in his love. So Jesus is abiding 
in his father's love. He's finding his value, he's finding his purpose, he's finding his meaning in his father's love. And as a result of that relationship, he keeps his father's commandments. And he says, I want you to abide in my love. I want you to find your meaning and purpose and identity in who I am and what I've done. And as a result of that relationship that we have with him, we will keep his commandments. It will be the natural overflow of that connection. It will be the natural overflow of that relationship. And what I've found in my own life as I've spent time in, in prayer, as I've spent time getting to know Jesus, reading scripture, as I've spent time getting to know other men and women of God, it has changed my heart. It has changed my desires and made me want to be more and more like Jesus. He says, you're going to remain in my love. It's going to be the overflow. It's going to be the fruit of this connection, of this relationship, as you find your value in my love. And when we don't, find, when we don't keep his commandments, you know what we're doing? We're finding our value in this world. We're remaining in the love of this world. We're remaining in the love of ourselves. We're remaining in the love of somebody else. We're remaining in the love of our possessions, our power, political power, a job, whatever. We're finding our love and our value as a person in something else. But because we are finding our value in the love of Jesus, that leads us to follow him and to keep his commandment. It is the natural overflow, the natural desire as he changes us, and we are transformed. He continues, he said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants us to have complete joy, lasting joy, a joy that doesn't lack anything. Now, three months ago, all around the world, we were all singing joy to the world. And were we singing joy to the world because we're getting Christmas presents? No. Were we singing joy to the world because we had Christmas trees and Christmas decorations? No. We were singing joy to the world. Why? The Lord has come. The Lord is with us. That's where we're having joy because God is with us. All right? In the book of Psalms, it says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Okay? And at your right hand, there's blessings forevermore. So what does that word joy mean? Joy is the perpetual gladness of the heart that comes from knowing, experiencing, and fully trusting Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you're never going to be upset. And that doesn't mean you're never going to have difficulties. It doesn't mean we're never going to have trials and tough times or be sad or be angry about something. But what it does mean is that we know that he is with us. We know that Jesus is for us. We know that Jesus is in us. And his disciples faced trials unlike you and I would ever face because all of them were thrown into prison, faced persecution. All of them were eventually executed. But they had a joy that came from knowing, experiencing, and trusting Jesus, trusting Jesus to the degree that they were following his commandments and being transformed to be more and more like him. He wants us to have perpetual gladness of the heart. And when we are not abiding in his love, we're not going to have that perpetual gladness of the heart. We're not going to have that joy. And when we're, finding, when we're abiding and finding our value in the things of this world or somebody else, in the pleasures of this life, I mean, it might be all right for a little bit. We're going to be disappointed. And it's not going to be a lasting satisfaction. And we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be heartbroken. And Jesus wants to give us 
perpetual gladness that comes from knowing, experiencing, and trusting him. And as we do this, he makes us less and less like ourselves and more and more like him. And he continues, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And I highlighted the word, my command. Not my request. Not my suggestion. Not this is a good idea. No, this is my command. This is a requirement. Love each other as I have loved you. When we think of command, we don't think of this with the same reverence and the same awe as some of the other commands, and the same urgency in Scripture. We take the command, thou shalt not kill. Oh, we take that very seriously. The command, thou shalt not steal. Oh, we take that pretty seriously. The command not to commit adultery. We take that pretty seriously. But the com- and Because the command to love each other, uh, we kind of, some days we do, some days we don't. This is more of a challenge, and we don't view it with the same urgency. You know, the, the commands in the Ten Commandments, you can kind of take as they come along. Loving each other the way that Jesus has loved us is a 24-7 proposition. Everywhere I go, and the love Jesus has shown us, we throw that word around love very loosely. We'll say things, oh, I love you. Here's a card. Here's a gift. Let me give you a hug. I love pizza. I love chocolate. We throw that word, and we're not really thinking about the meaning. And Jesus throws out the meaning here. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And there's an urgency to what he's saying. In John 13, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We don't, typically speaking, look at this with the same urgency and recognize that the difference between somebody coming to know the love of Jesus and not knowing the love of Jesus is how we love one another. And the difference between somebody spending eternity in heaven with Jesus or in hell apart from Jesus, is us showing them the love of Jesus by the way we love each other. The way that God has loved us. And what's unfortunate is there's a lot of churches that have started, and you know how they started? Well, we had a disagreement. We didn't like the way the music was played. We didn't like this person being voted the pastor. We didn't like the way the church was being decorated. So we're leaving. I'm not lying, guys. There's been a lot of churches started that way, and that's really heartbreaking. Okay? He says, a new command I give you, love each other as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And what's so awesome about Jesus, he didn't just teach them how to do this. He showed them how to do this like nobody else. Nobody else has even come close to showing us this kind of love. Not just by the miracles performed, not just by the way he healed the sick, but by he went and suffered and hung brutally on the cross for six long hours. So we, 
you and I could become part of the family of God. There's an urgency to what he's saying. All right? So, to be honest, this is the most difficult of all Jesus' commands to follow. Like I said, it's a 24-7 proposition. It's difficult. It's hard to do. But as I connect with Jesus in prayer, spending time by myself in quiet, reading Scripture, He begins to change my heart. And, and, and as I've connected with other men and women of God, it's helped me to become more and more like Him. Has helped me to abide in His love. Okay, it's a constant work in progress. So, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So, so no other love in this world comes close to what Jesus has done and what Jesus has commanded. All right? So, but in order to do this, we must first know his love in order to show his love. He didn't just tell his disciples this. He had modeled it for them for three years. And then they saw what he did on the cross. But I can't give you something I don't have. But as I experience the love of Jesus, and he changes my heart and makes me less and less of me and more and more like him, then it's a lot easier to show his love the people that don't agree with me, the people that don't look like me, the people who aren't like me, it's a lot easier to do that because I'm being transformed as I'm abiding in his love. So live in his love and be transformed by his love, and now I can show his love. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Isn't that awesome? He didn't just call us followers, he called us friends, and he continues and he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. How awesome is this? That he would leave heaven and come down to earth and keep no secret from that his father has shared with him from us and from his disciples, not because of anything we've done. He said, I have made this known to you. Everything I learned from my Father, I want you to know. Who would, who would open up themselves like that? Who else do you know that would open them, up themselves up like that, you know, just for, out of nowhere? But Jesus did that for a specific mission. And man, that makes me feel very valued and honored. He says, I, I want you to, he continues, he says, this is my command, love each other. He goes, I want you to join me in what I'm doing. All right, so I've shared with you what my father has done or who my father is and what he wants you to do. And you, I've provided an opportunity for you to abide and connect with me. And this is my command. Love each other the way that I've loved you. Lay yourself down. Sacrifice yourself. Serve one another. So, how did Jesus' disciples respond to his love or his command to love each other? At first, it was a total failure. When they arrested Jesus and, and you know, took him into custody, they confronted Peter, and Peter denied him three times. And all of his disciples went 
running and scattered all over the place. But when Jesus was resurrected and they saw him face to face and he left the Holy Spirit as a, as a, as a, as a counselor to his disciples, they were empowered. And they went into the hostile Roman Empire that was killing Christians and into Jewish culture and society and proclaiming Jesus and following his commandments. And we're going to see his family started expanding. And the kingdom started expanding. So in Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So the disciples are going with a bunch of people that were not like them, just like Jesus did. They were praying. They were teaching, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's made a way for you to know God, not by anything you've done, but by what he's done. Okay? And they were doing awesome, awesome miracles. But just as important, they were following Jesus' command to, to connect together. They were, they were fellowshipping, which is just a fancy word of saying friendship. Breaking of bread. Okay? They, they were sharing things in common. And people saw, man, this is something I would love to be a part of because this was nothing like anything in this world. Keep going. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day, they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it's expanding all throughout the Roman Empire. Jews who had persecuted Jesus were coming to know Jesus. Prostitutes. Robbers, corrupted politicians, sinful people were said, oh, I feel welcomed here. This is something I want to be a part of. Nobody has shown me this love. I see the way they're loving and serving each other. This is something I want to be a part of. And God kept adding, and and, and, and his kingdom and his family kept expanding all throughout the Roman Empire. And even people that were persecuting the church, like the Apostle Paul, began to follow Jesus. More and more and more. So Paul writes in Galatians 6, just carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And Jesus' disciples, as you read the New Testament, when you read the writings of Peter, James, and John, and Paul, it's a lot about each other, love each other, serve each other, help each other, forgive each other. You know, it's totally reinforcing everything that Jesus had taught. Now, I've been blessed to be a part of a group, Andrea and I, we have a son who is high-functioning, mildly autistic, okay? And he's part of the Miracle League, which is a baseball league for, for kids and people, kids of all ages with special needs. And there's a lot of believers in this group. But man, the people in this group are so loving. It's like a family. Every time you go there, they're, they, they, each, each kid that comes up to bat, everybody's cheering for them loudly the coaches and the players, and they let them take as many times, as long as they need to get a hit. It's, it's a constant celebration of each other. It feels like a great community. Most of the, a lot of the people there are believers. Not everybody is, but a lot of people there. And Andrew and I and our kids have been really blessed just, just by the loving, serving, caring community there. All right? So, 
the gospel calls us into community. And community is about, is about knowing Jesus' love so that we can show Jesus' love. Now, I've experienced this firsthand. Before I became a believer, I was raised in the church. I had a serious anger issue. And I had, was in my early 20s, got kicked out of my house, didn't have a driver's license, but I wanted to show my, because I had a serious anger outburst at my mom. And I wanted to show my mom I was serious about getting my anger under control. So what I did, I went to an anger management group at our church. And at this anger management group, everybody there was so loving, so welcoming. Okay? They explained who Jesus is and what Jesus had done and how much Jesus loved me. And I finally understood what Jesus had done on the cross and that I was welcomed into the family of God unconditionally. It was the transforming moment in my life when I was able to be a part of that community. All right? Community, the way that Jesus has commanded and modeled, does a lot of things. First, community promotes prayer. In a community group, we share each other's needs. We bear each other's burdens. And we pray for each other together. But we also pray for each other when we're not together. All right? And we just don't pray for each other. I've been a part of some awesome groups that pray for the surrounding area, the surrounding neighborhood, the surrounding city. And it's helping us to become more and more like Jesus as we pray together and share needs and see God transforming us. Community also makes the Word of God come alive. As we, we have a lot of great teachers here at Riverbend. Present company excluded. but, but, But as we spend time together reading God's Word, and sharing what this verse means to us and how we understand it and what experiences we've had with this scripture, we can become, it, makes, it makes the Bible much more understandable even then up here. Because there's, stuff, there's questions you might have and then people can see, you know, can discuss a verse and share about their own experience and things that they've understood and things that have happened in their life and what that verse means to them. So we're praying together. Scripture is becoming more and more understandable. And as this is happening, it is developing our Christ-likeness. As we're spending time in prayer together and by ourselves, as we're spending time reading Scripture together and by ourselves, as we are serving and helping each other, sometimes people are sharing needs. Like if somebody has a baby, the group says, hey, can we bring a meal by your house? Okay, things like that. We're serving one another. It is making us more and more like Jesus as we are connected. And even in a group we can share, hey, I'm having a hard time with this. I've struggled with this. And feeling loved and unconditionally welcome. So it develops our Christ-likeness. And as we are becoming more and more like Jesus and modeling and showing that love, it is creating new disciples as we are praying for people that we work with, people in our neighborhood, people in our family, and we're showing them the love of Jesus, and we're even going out together to share who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in our lives. We are abiding in his love, we're knowing his love, and now we're showing his love, and people are seeing that in us, and seeing that in our group, 
say, this is something I really want to be a part of. What I want you guys to know is isolated religion is conforming. Christ-centered community is transforming. God, Jesus didn't want us just to follow him by ourselves. Okay? I'm not supposed to follow Jesus alone. Christ-centered community where we're loving each other the way that he's loved us is transforming. And we're helping each other become more and more like Jesus. So, what would happen if the church was known as a loving, open-armed community instead of a rules-based institution? A lot of people have had terrible experiences with church. And when they think of church and when they think of God, they think of a bunch of do's and don'ts. I was heartbroken to hear a coworker shared with me a church told her they didn't like that she had colored her hair black and that she was wearing black to church. And I was like, that's so heartbreaking to hear. Okay? What would happen if we were known as a loving, open-armed community like Jesus' disciples were? Instead of a rules-based institution, when our culture and world thinks about the church a lot of times, what they think about is, oh, church, just a bunch of do's and don'ts. I'm not good enough to come to church. They wouldn't want me at church. Or they're thinking about the church, all they want to do is complain about society, complain about this world, complain about politics, complain about this culture. But what would happen if we were a loving, open-armed community instead of a rules-based institution? Same thing that would happen today in 2023 that happened when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and his disciples went out into the Roman Empire. You know what would happen? There would be a revolution. There would be a revolution. They went all throughout the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, seeing the love of Jesus and being drawn to the love of Jesus as the disciples are loving and serving each other the way that Jesus commanded, one by one by one, more and more started following and said, this is something I want to be a part of. This is a loving community. This is, this is a group of people I want to know. And it kept growing and growing all throughout Asia and Europe. And soon the Roman Empire was left in the dust. Leaders in the Roman Empire became followers of Jesus. And now the Roman Empire is just a footnote in Jesus' resurrection story. The church kept expanding, expanding throughout Europe. 2,000 years later, here we are across the ocean, being the church and being Jesus' followers. And if we... As a community, what would happen if the church in the Lehigh Valley and if the church in Pennsylvania and if the church in the U.S. was seen as an open-armed community instead of a rules-based institution? What would happen? It would be a huge revolution, not just here, around the world. All right? So we want you all, we've got a lot of awesome opportunities here. There's a number of community groups where you can know the love of Jesus and show the love of Jesus. We have men's breakfast, we have community groups, youth groups, all over the Lehigh Valley. You can go to riverbendonline.org groups. And if you can't make it to a Riverbend group, it's okay. We, it's okay to connect with, other, with, with people from other churches, okay, groups from other churches, because we're one body. I started connecting with some men from the Vine Church, which is a church we started 
plant, which we planted a few years ago, for those of you that don't know. And we had a breakfast, and we had somebody else from Blue Mountain Community Church come join us. So we had men from three different churches, still one body, all the same family of God, all right? So know the love of Jesus so that you can show the love of Jesus, and we can start this revolution that Jesus has for us here. Let's pray. Father, Jesus, you've shown us an amazing love. As the Father has loved you, so you have loved us. Help us to love others and to love each other the way that you not only have commanded, but demonstrated so that we can show this hurting, broken, and lost neighbors, coworkers, family members how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.